All right, so does anyone need a Bible in here? Raise your hand if you need a Bible, and a couple people will be coming around. And the reason we like to hand out Bibles is because we want you interacting with the Word of God. We want this in your hands. We want you to know that it's not just Anthony's translation up here, but it's a good Bible translation. And then secondly, if you don't own a Bible, we just want to give you a Bible to keep. But if you do own a Bible, you can just set it somewhere, on, like maybe by the Connect desk, on your way out, okay? So for the last basically year since January, we've been in this series of Acts. We've been, it's this book of the Bible in, called Acts, where we see what the early church does and how they live and how they live with the spirit, full of the Spirit and how Jesus has commissioned them to go to the ends of the earth, right? And it's been a fun series for me. I, I don't know. I think it's been one of my favorite series that we've preached through because growing up, I think I heard uh, just certain portions of Acts, and to then to have this full picture of Acts has been really good for my heart and my soul, and even just as God disciples me and makes, uh, turns me into a better Christian and more like him. And so right now, we're in Acts we're about 25 to 27 years into Acts. Okay, so Acts, I've said this before, it takes place over 30 years. Sometimes we read Acts and we think it's just a quick succession of events. Maybe it's three years or five years at max, but it takes place over 30 years. And today we're right around, I think it's probably closer to the 27-year mark in Acts. So we are winding down in Acts here, right? And even today, as we're, it's going to be kind of our last breath of air before Acts really ramps up. Because Acts, the rest of Acts is going to be longer narratives that we're going through because they all go together and they all tell like different portions of the story of Paul going to Jerusalem and to Rome. And so today, I just want us to, to make a note of that, that we have time to pause today make some more observations about Acts before the text itself moves a little quicker at the end of it, okay? And so Paul last week, he knows because the Spirit has told him that he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be bound up. He knows afflictions await him. And so he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He's saying his goodbye to these churches that he helped establish. And he even says something like, man, I have been constrained. I've been forced by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome one day. And so Paul knows that in spite of these imprisonments we've seen, that he is constrained by the Spirit. So again, it's Family Sunday. So if you remember, on Family Sunday last time, I did some amazing pictures for us. I don't know if you were here. And Why is there chuckling? They were great. And, and, and so, kids, I want you involved. So a little review of last week. If you want to put up picture one, Hannah, that would be great. Awkward pause. So what you do is you click it, and I'm just kidding, I'm sorry. Hannah's in my RC, so I like to razz her. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so the reason I did this is because growing up, I had, thank you, flannel graph, and flannel graph was these pictures. So let me describe this picture. Uh, so that's a bird. That bird is a dove, and as we all know, the dove is the universal symbol of the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul, consider yourself constrained, Paul. And he's doing kind of like a Pokemon Pidgeot wind attack at Paul to force him. That's Paul. What's the green thing? Again, that's the thorn in his flesh, right? That's how you know it's Paul, and there's a sign. 
this way to Jerusalem, then Rome. It's a really convenient sign. So anyways, kids, that's what's going on, all right? That's what's going on in the text. All right, you can take the picture down. Uh, let's get into the text. Today, what, what we're going to see is there's going to be these two stories of Paul saying goodbye, and we're just going to go through it together. I'm going to notice some things. But then after that, we're going to look at two observations I have for us from this text that I hope would, would draw us closer to God. So Acts 21, if you have your Bibles, verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed, went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on, on, board, on board the ship, and they returned home. So let's pause there for a second. So Paul, he's getting on these ships, he's stopping in all these places, and he stops in Tyre, where there's a, another church that he helped establish and start, and they're saying their goodbyes. Now this group of people, as they're saying their goodbyes to Paul, the Spirit lets this group of people know what's going to happen to Paul. They say the, the Spirit lets the people know that, that he's going to be imprisoned. He, the afflictions await him. It's not going to go well for them. And so they uh, think that God is telling them, hey, warn Paul. Warn him so he doesn't go. And so they, they're trying to convince Paul, please don't go. Now, this can seem like a contradiction because last week and a week before that, we see that Paul is led by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And then here, it's, it, it sounds like that Paul is being led by the Spirit to stay. Now, there's this idea in, in theology that Scripture interprets Scripture, okay? And, and this is kind of the idea of context, if you take one verse out of context and you don't look at the chapter around it or the book of the Bible around it or even the whole Bible around it, you might not come up with a good theology and you might find what you think are contradictions until you look at the context. And so today's story, we really need to look at the context to understand why the Spirit is not actually contradicting himself. So that will be more later. So picture number two, if you can go ahead and put that up for the kids to review this story for us. Okay? So there's Paul in a boat. Um, the thorns switch sides. I don't know how that works. Uh, it's because I forgot. <laughs> That's why. Um, he's saying peace, love, and blessings. And um, the, you know, the, his people are saying goodbye, Paul. We're going to miss you so much. And that guy doesn't have a shirt on because he, he just thought it was going to be a beach day. So he was confused. So... Um, where's my man Hayden? Where's Hayden? Hayden, what do you think? Is this picture pretty good? I worked on it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Better than the last one is what he said. Better than the last one. I agree. It took me like 45 minutes. <laughs> I wish that was a joke. <laughs> it's not. Okay, let's move on. Uh, verse 7. Let's see what happens next. Verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, 
And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. You guys, a little Philip has grown up. Have you noticed that? Do you remember Philip from like, now in the text, it's like 20 years ago. He got, like the spirit led him to go preach to the Ethiopian on the road. Do you remember that? And he preaches to him, then he baptizes him, and then the Holy Spirit teleports him to this area near Caesarea, and then he ends up staying in Caesarea for like 20 years. Well, it looks like he got married, or may, and he has four daughters now, and I, I, I just, it's, it's, it's adorable to see Philip has grown up. You know, it's, but it, there's, there's a little note. This isn't so much a, like a main point of my sermon, but I want you guys to notice that, so if he has four unmarried daughters, that means they're probably young, all right? So they were probably really young, and then notice that these four unmarried daughters are prophesying, right? I think too often in the church, we think that kids who love and follow Christ can't serve Christ and do things in their giftings. But here in this story, he's got four daughters who all prophesy. And Luke, the writer of Acts, thought that was important to note. Right? So two things. Young people and kids, we need you and God has a place for you. And then two, women, we need you and God has a place for you. Right? God was using these young women to prophesy and speak and edify the church with their words. And I, I just think we can't skip over that too much. Okay, so Paul is traveling. Let's keep going. Verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus." And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the, the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Okay, so Paul is hanging out here with Philip and his family and the church there. And this guy, Agabus, comes up to Paul and he takes Paul's belt off of him, awkward, and then ties himself up and is like, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. Now listen, I grew up in charismatic churches, so a prophecy was not a, like, a, weird, like a different experience for me growing up. But no one ever took somebody's belt off and tied themselves up. But I also want you to know, too, like when I was growing up, and I'm not saying that prophecies don't work this way because I think revelation works this way. But when I was growing up, it was always like, I see an eagle. And he's flying into the valley, and the valley represents hope, and like all this stuff. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Uh, but think, just look how practical it is. It's weird what he's doing. He's tying himself up, but it's practical because he's like, this is what's going to happen to you, man. And then Paul, and, and the, actually the other people in the church there, they're like, hey, yeah, you shouldn't go then. You shouldn't go if they're going to rip your belt off you and tie you up. Like, you shouldn't go. And Paul's like, guys, I know that the Spirit is leading me to this. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Because I am not only ready to go there, but I'm ready to die for the name of Christ. That's, that's big. Okay, so before we talk about some of these implications, my third, third picture for, for the kids. 
right? So this one's a part one and a part two, right? So there's Agabus just saying, give me your belt. Paul's saying, whoa, dude. Um, and the Greek dude is dude. It's crazy. Um, and then <laughs> that's Agabus on the ground with his belt wrapped around him. And he said, this is what's going to happen to you. And then Paul's just saying, I know. Can I? He actually says, I, can I have me belt back? He was speaking in leprechaun tongue there for a second, <laughs> just for a second, right there. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I just want to note too, some of the kids over here were laughing at my picture, and that hurts. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's go into this story a little bit more, right? So this story, there's a seeming, it, again, you take the picture down, I can see in the reflection, it's freaking me out. Um, <laughs> this story... There's a seeming contradiction in the church because the church feels very motivated to warn Paul and stop him, right? By the Spirit, it says Luke wrote, right, by the Spirit. But then also Luke wrote last week that by the Spirit, Paul is being writ or like led to Jerusalem and to Rome. And so it seems like there's a contradiction. And so like I said, today I have two observations. And I think the first observation for us is what's going to help us understand this a little bit more. And this is the observation. Following the leading of the Spirit is more an art than a science. Okay? Following the leading of the Spirit is more an art than a science. So when you hear from God, when you hear from the Spirit, it's less like every time I put in this mathematical input, I always get this output. And it's more like doing music or being in a band or, or something like this. Okay? And so here's what I think is going on is... I think everybody in this story is hearing from the Spirit, but I think they are interpreting it differently. So Paul had a different interpretation for why the Spirit was telling him that than the people and the church there did, right? And so this is why it's more an art than a science, because if you've ever been in a band or an orchestra or a marching band, right, you have an instrument and you're playing it, and there are moments where you stop playing and you wait to jump in to the song. And if you don't get into the song on the right note, sorry, I almost died, um, on the right note, the whole song's messed up. Like at the right rhythm and the right timing, really, is what I mean. The whole song is messed up. You could be playing all the correct notes. I played clarinet. That's why I keep doing this. Uh, really cool instrument. And, but you're messing up the whole song even though you're playing the right notes. And I think that listening to and following the leading of the Spirit is sometimes like this. So in this story, I think everybody is hearing the right notes. Everybody knows the right notes. But they are not coming in to the right tune and timing and rhythm of the song, right? And so following the leading of the Spirit is more of an art form than it is a science, okay? And so... I think sometimes we'll read this text and we'll just go, why would God tell these people what was going to happen to Paul unless it was to warn him? Or maybe Paul interpreted it wrong, and maybe Paul was supposed to be warned. And here's, here's what I want to say to that. Just because we can't come up for a reason why God is telling us something or showing us something doesn't mean he, he doesn't have a better reason than we do. Right? So the early church, I, I'm just speculating. Two, I came up with two reasons that God could have been telling the early church this. The first reason is maybe God 
care, just like cared about them in that moment enough that he wanted everybody to have a proper goodbye. Like maybe God just wanted them to have a proper good, goodbye. Because I don't know if you have ever had to say goodbye to someone or someone has died before you've gotten to say goodbye. But when you don't have that proper closure, that proper goodbye, at times it can weigh heavy on your heart. And I could only imagine for the people of God who Paul had poured into for years and years at this point, how heavy that would have been if they didn't get a chance to say bye to Paul, a chance to say, Paul, thank you for like, sharing the gospel with me. Paul, thank you for discipling me. So maybe that's one reason. Another reason is maybe God just wanted to confirm to Paul what he had heard by the Holy Spirit was going to happen. Like, so Paul was pretty sure that he was hearing from the Spirit that he needed to go to Jerusalem and then it would end up being, going to Rome and he'd be bound and all this stuff. And maybe Paul wasn't sure. Maybe Paul's like, am I really hearing from the Spirit in this? And so then when you land in a random place and they're like, yeah, that's going to happen, and you random, land in another random place and they're like, yeah, that's going to happen, give me your belt, right? You're going to be like, I'm pretty sure this is what the Holy Spirit is saying is going to happen. And so maybe God even just wanted to prepare Paul's heart and say, man, this is not going to be great. It's going to be great for God's kingdom, but it's not going to go great for you, Paul. And so, again, there's not a contradiction here, but it does seem that the church there were, were having a hard time interpreting exactly why God and why the Holy Spirit was speaking this to them. And we need to remember that listening to the Holy Spirit is more an art than a science. And it's a tension. There's a tension here in this story. I think some of you could read the story and you're super stoked because you're like, guess what? I've, I've been hearing from God that I need to date Tommy. And even though he's not a Christian and all my church friends say, don't do it. I'm a Paul, right? <laughs> I'm going to do this. And this is what I would just say. If that's where your heart is going, I would just say, hey, I just bet that Paul's quiet times were a little bit better than yours. Okay? And I just, I, you know, I don't know this, but I'm pretty sure none of your tissues have ever healed somebody. Okay? And so I'm not saying that Paul has these works and these rights in order to go rogue, but I'm just saying Paul was so connected to God, I'm pretty sure he was hearing from God clearly. Right? But there is a tension because sometimes God is calling us to step out in boldness, and even those around us, or even sometimes the church will say, don't do that. That's too scary. Right? Like five years ago when me and my wife felt like we were supposed to come up here and help Vince and a bunch of others plant this church. Not everybody we talked to thought it was a good idea. But we thought the Spirit was leading us into this, and so we did it. And I'm glad because I know that it was for the glory of God, and it was what he was leading us into. Okay, and so remember that. Listening to the Spirit is more an art than a science, and, and I don't think any of us have a complete hold on it sometimes. We should be always willing to hear from our brothers and sisters in Christ and if it ever contradicts the Bible, you are not hearing from the Spirit, okay? You are not hearing from the Spirit if it's telling you to do something this book would tell you not to do, okay? So that's my first observation. My second observation is, is this. The shape of Paul's life was one of dying to himself, okay? The I'm going to say that again. The shape of Paul's life was one in which he died to himself. Now, this is a really churchy term, right? Dying to yourself, right? In, in Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
So this is a little bit, it gives us a picture of what this idea of dying to self is. And so just dying to self is any time that you're living out obedience for Christ or following Jesus and living like him where you feel a death inside or where actual bad things happen to you, right? There's, and so I think, though, for Paul, he didn't shirk away from that. He, he said that it just looked like the shape of his life was that he was willing to die to himself. I was trying to think, what is a modern-day example of, of this? And I was just thinking to myself, what if clearly God spoke to me and said, Anthony, you need to go to an ISIS stronghold in Syria and share the gospel, right? I'd be like, God, it's more an art than a science. I'm not hearing you. And, right? Like, that's what I would do. Because I don't know sometimes if my life, if the shape of my life is a shape where I die to myself. I think the shape of my life sometimes is a life in which I live life for myself. I live life to serve myself. So that's the juxtaposition here. There's, there's, you could be living life to live for yourself, or you could be living life to die for yourself. That doesn't, doesn't mean you seek out pain and suffering, but what it does mean is that you follow Jesus anywhere, that you do anything to be in obedience to Jesus, that you do anything to give glory to God, even if there is a death to yourself. And I was just convicted by this. Because I was just like, God, I don't know if I live that way. And I just wonder for myself and for us, is that the shape of our lives? Is the shape of our lives dying to ourselves or living for ourselves? And I just went through some things that I've been hearing lately from a bunch of people, of, of things that we do in our church. And I want to talk about them because I think they show a shape of not living, of not dying to ourselves, but for living for ourselves, all right? So we do mentorship here. If you're new and you don't know what that is, we, we really try to get people in one-on-one or one-on-three relationships with each other for the sake where there's one mentor mentoring a mentee and, and pushing them towards Christ, right? And we even say, hey, if you're a non-Christian here, come and we will we'll mentor you and we want, we want to be a part of your life. But what I, we've been doing this now for a couple years. And what I'm starting to hear is, a lot of mentors, and I hear it in my own heart, but a lot of our mentors say, you know what, I don't want to mentor anymore because this person is not consistent, this person doesn't read, or this person won't pray, or this person won't do this and won't do that. And it's just hard for me to hear because what if Paul was like, I don't want to go to Jerusalem because the Jews aren't going to listen. They're not going to hear the gospel They're not going to obey it. And I think sometimes as mentors, we're beginning to do that. But I see it on the mentee side too. So a lot of us have a mentor. And I think as mentees, we sometimes treat this relationship as way too consumeristic. Like we're like, hey, this mentor is to make my life better. This mentor is to serve me. And then the first time your mentor says, hey, you maybe shouldn't do that, right? You go, I'm going to email Anthony and ask for a new mentor. I wish that was a joke, but that's happened. I wish. But, and so I just wonder sometimes when it comes to mentorship and disciple. Listen, we call it mentorship because we want everything we do in the church to be discipleship. But this is discipleship, something we're all called to do as Christians. 
And I just wonder again, are we dying to ourselves, Or will we only mentor if it's convenient and good for us? Or will we only be menteed if it's good and convenient and life-giving for us? And I just, I just don't know. And I'm looking at my own heart. I also want us to look at our redemption communities. So again, if you're new, this is like our version of small groups. And all the time I just hear, I can't go to that, RC. It's all single people, right? I can't go to that RC. It's all people with kids, right? Or whatever it is. I can't go to that RC. Anthony's there. Whatever it is. <laughs> that one particularly hurts. And, <laughs> and I get it. I get that you want relationships with people that are in similar walks of life. That's good, and that's life-giving, and God wants you to have those too. But I just wonder if we're dying to ourselves in those moments. Because God doesn't want just those relationships. He wants a diversity of relationships. And we've seen that in Acts. We've seen the young and the old hanging out. We've seen the rich and the poor hanging out. We've seen the rich and the slaves hanging out. Right? This is crazy. The gospel turns everything upside down and says, die to yourself. And I just don't know if in our RCs, if we're just going there because it gives us life and we don't have the mindset that I'm going to help them become more like Jesus and they're going to help me become more like Jesus, then it's probably not gospel-centered community. It's you-centered community. And then there's a whole bunch of you in here. You don't even go. You don't even go to redemption, a redemption community. You're not really involved in Christian community or a small group. I'm fine if you're out at a Christian community somewhere else or something. But just a lot of you don't. A lot of you are not involved in it. And I don't know why. Maybe because you don't like getting into these awkward conversations and for long silences and you're all getting to know how many siblings somebody has and all this kind of stuff. Maybe you don't like that. But again, this is not dying to ourselves when we think that way. This is not dying to ourselves. And listen... There are times, because I basically put everybody in their RCs, right? I, like, send people to different RC groups. There are times where it happens in my own heart. Where I'm like, man, that person was kind of weird. Vince's RC, right? <laughs> like, right? That's my flinch. And every time I make that flinch, sorry, my RC, but you come to my RC then. Because I'm like, I want to love them. I want to die to myself. Okay, so listen, I, again, the shape of Paul's life was dying to self. I think I want that for us. Another, this kind of the last example, but marriage is the shape of our marriages, especially husbands, because we are specifically called out to do this, is the shape of our marriage one in which we die to ourselves? Or is the shape of our marriage one in which we just live and serve ourselves? And our relationship only goes well when the other spouse is serving us and meeting all our needs and doing everything we want in a relationship. There's an easy way to figure this out. There's an easy way to figure this out. Do you ever let her win the argument? Right? This is so tough for me. There are times where I just have to go, all right, Jess, I'm leaving you to say it. No, I just, I, I say, all right, Jess, you're right, whatever. And then I feel this death inside me. I just like go and I'm like watching TV and I'm just like, oh, I know I need to go fight with her some more. Like, I, and I feel that, right? But the shape of Jesus's life and the shape of Paul's life is dying to ourselves, right? Parents and kids, we get this. 
right? Parents, we tell kids all the time things that they act like is dying, right? And we're like, no, that's really good for you. Or like, I mean, the classic example is like, hey, kid, here's a, a, a purple cup of water. And the kid's like, yeah! What about the green cup? And they literally, they're dying there all of a sudden. What about the green cup? And so as parents, we go, man, will you just die to yourself? It's just a purple cup. It's the same result. Like we just, maybe this is getting too personal. But, <laughs> but if we are like that with our kids, who we're both finite beings, how much more so are we probably like that with God? How much more so do we not take the call of God to die to ourselves? Listen, this is all discouraging. I get it. <laughs> you guys are like, man, Anthony had a bad week. <laughs> and I didn't. I had a great week. But <laughs> it's discouraging because so far it sounds like I'm saying, be like Paul. Be like this guy whose handkerchiefs healed people. But I'm not just saying that. I'm really saying be like Jesus. Because the shape of his life was one in which he died to himself. Right? Jesus came to earth, and I've said it before, I would not come in the form of a, ba of a baby if I was God. I'd be a Gyarados or something, right? Like, I would be something crazy. And so Jesus, though, he comes as a baby, he lives this perfect life, and he shows us his kingdom, and he shows us what it's about, and then at the, the pinnacle of his life, or really kind of just this climax of the Bible for us, he dies on the cross. He literally dies to himself to bring us life. Right? He dies, and then to show us that he's bringing us life, he comes back to life three days later. And we get to share in that. And so this is the shape of Jesus' life. Don't be like Paul. Be like Jesus. Because Jesus lives in you, right? In Acts earlier, it said the Spirit of Christ, referring to the Holy Spirit, resides in us. The Spirit of Christ is how it termed it. The Spirit of Christ lives in you, and he is redeeming you, and he is renewing your humanity. And there is a robust theology throughout the New Testament of dying to ourselves. But if we as Christians only want to live for ourselves, we're going to miss the gospel at times. We're going to miss components of who Jesus is. Sure, we might have the historical facts of the gospel, but if we are only living for ourselves, there are huge portions of an experience of the gospel, even just mentally, that we won't get. This is why the gospel is good news. Because the gospel and Jesus, Jesus really could lead us into pain and suffering, and we get good out of it. We get life out of it. Right? I was just thinking through, when we embrace this dying to self, what, some things we get to learn. The first thing we get to learn is we get to learn a joy and a contentedness in God. Right? If you're anything like me, you're out chasing contentedness and happiness all the time. But joy and contentedness is you can be content and satisfied with your life no matter what's going on. That's what God has for you. That's what Jesus offers. But instead, I'm over here chasing temporary happiness. When we live out this idea of dying to self, I think we get to understand the mechanism of the gospel better. 
right, when you are in the midst of pain and suffering, dying to yourself, you will get to appreciate what Jesus did. When you're dying to yourself and I'm just feeling that pain of like, I got to go fight with my wife some more, right? I'm like, man, how much more did it hurt Jesus? The sinless, 100% God, 100% man who died for my sin. We get to understand the mechanism of the gospel and God used the mechanism of pain and suffering to bring us life. That's crazy. And then finally, and Paul talks a lot about this in Philippians, but we get to share with Christ in his sufferings. So when we live this out, we actually get to know God better. We actually get to understand him more. We get to share with Christ in his sufferings. God forms our heart to become more like his, and that restores our humanity. Our humanity is broken until Jesus is restoring it and showing us what it really means to be human. So listen, friends, this is a tough message. I'm not going to water it down or anything, but as I looked at this more throughout the New Testament, dying to self is the shape of the New Testament at times. It's the shape of the early believers, and it's for sure the shape of Jesus' life. And we're in here not to hear a good, encouraging message, but sometimes, but we're in here to be, mostly become more like Jesus. We're in here to worship the God of the universe. And I'd, I'd be leaving something out if I didn't tell you that this was part of following Jesus. Right? Jesus himself said, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, wear your cross necklace and follow me, although that's okay. Right? That's okay. He said, pick up this device for execution and follow the direction I go. That's crazy. And I just... I just so badly want for myself, I want for our church, I want for the leaders in our church, for the pastors in our church to have this shape to their lives. Not just because I see it in scripture, but because we get so much more of God in the midst of it. So let's be a people that realize following the Spirit is something for us, but it's an art more than a science. But let's realize the Spirit is probably going to lead us to die to ourselves probably on a daily basis. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this tough word. You know, God, it's, there's so many great things that are easy for us to, to swallow, so to speak, about you. But then there's tough things. There's tough things about following you, and that's okay, God, because this is how you redeem us. This is how you sanctify us more, really. And so, God, help us to be a people that don't move away from dying to ourselves. Help us to be a people that realize that this was the shape of the early believer's life, but, God, help us to realize this was the shape of your life, and this is what you used to save us. And this is how you use us to bring life to the rest of the world. So God, let's be a people that are willing to die to ourselves. God, we need you and we love you. Amen.